Inside the Game, brought to you by Raider Media. Welcome to another episode of Inside the Game, brought to you by Raider Media. I'm Derek Alberts. Now, last week, Proteus fast bowler Dwayne Olafier shocked the cricketing world, and South Africans in particular, when he announced that he had signed a three-year deal with Yorkshire. Now, ordinarily, there's nothing too shocking about that. But in this case, Olafier signed a callback contract, which means he, he can't play for the Proteus while he's a Yorkshire player. Callback signings, nothing new, of course, but usually they apply to players who are nearing the end of their careers or aren't really in the Proteus setup. That's not the case, though, when it comes to Ulifia. The 26-year-old's taken 48 test wickets in 10 test matches at a great average of 19.25, and he was simply sensational in the recent series against Pakistan. Following the announcement, a team sheet started going around on social media of a South African cold pack 11. It included the likes of Olafia, Dane Villas, Mornay Morkel, and one Simon Harmer. I'll catch up with Simon in, in a short while to, to find out his reasons for going the cold pack route, while I'll also hear from another cold pack man, Colin Ingram. Then to wrap up the episode, I head to Cape Town to discuss the cold pack situation with Tony Irish, who is head of the South African Cricketers Association otherwise known as Saka. But first, let's hear from Simon. Well, he's played five test matches for South Africa. He last represented the Proteas in 2015 against India uh, in Nagpur. Since then, he's gone on to sign a Colpac contract. He's represented Essex with great success on the county circuit, but uh, also staying true to his roots. He still plays for the Warriors back home. And uh, also recently won the uh, MSL uh, for the Josie Stars. Simon Harmer on the line. Simon, great to have you chatting. And uh, yeah, in light of what's recently been happening uh, regarding Dwayne Ulefier's uh, signing for Yorkshire, a, a shock decision to many, but were you shocked? How's it, Derek? Um, yeah, I think if you look short term, maybe, um, because he played all of the tests this summer, um, I think that's why he's taken as much heat as he has, um, Duan. But I think if you look long term um, and the way things change, uh, the players coming back from injury, who's waiting in the wings, etc. Um, you know, like all it takes is one one series, and then you're sitting on the sidelines, back playing domestic cricket. Um, so yeah, I think long term it was it was the right decision. Um, I'm sure his critics will, will disagree with me, but um, at the end of the day, you need to be maximizing your, your earning potential and as the cliche goes, make hay while the sun shines. So um, I don't think he's made the wrong decision, um, but I'm, I'm sure it's not the, the popular opinion. I think there's no no one better really to to chat to regarding this than a callback player as one as yourself, and I mean for you I mean you can only speak from personal experience. Did you find that you had played for the Proteas for five tests? Suddenly you were out of the mix, and that callback decision certainly seemed a lot more appealing. Yeah, I think um, I could have hung around for another four or five years and caught the odd tour as a second spinner. Um, but even your performances in domestic cricket don't sort of guarantee you anything. Um, there isn't much of a, 
um, a set structure in terms of selection. So you could do well and not get selected, and you could have an average season and get selected. So there's not there's not a lot of consistency, and at the end of the day, you need to make the right decisions for yourself and and your circumstances. And um, that's what I chose to do. Um, I did chat to a lot of the management staff in the Proteus setup uh, leading up to me making the decision and explain why I wanted to do that. Um, 90% of them said that they wouldn't even think twice about uh, going the coal pack route. Um, so yeah, that kind of confirmed my decision to, to explore the coal pack. So you said you sought a lot of guidance when you went that route. Now, uh, I can imagine English counties, they're not idiots, and they certainly do their research, and especially with South Africans, um, with the pound being as strong as it is, they know that a coal pack is certainly very, very appealing. So I can imagine that they're approaching players left, right, and center, uh, regardless of the situation, if they're kind of phasing their way out of the international side or even just getting in, as, as we've seen with Dwan. I mean... Was was there calls of plenty for you at the time? I mean, approaches from various counties or, or other clubs. Um, and, I mean, how did you go about it? I can imagine life-changing doesn't even begin to sum up the decision that you make. Um, yeah, it is a massive decision. So there is a lot of thought and research that needs to go into it. Um, I personally was looking to try and catch a, an overseas pro sort of gig at one of the counties at the back end of the season or at the start of the season because um, a lot of the counties will sign international players for a sort of four-week window. Um, there's not a lot of international players that can commit to a full county season. So initially, that's what I was looking at doing. Um, but then when I realized that um, I sort of wasn't going to see the, the light of day in the FAA side, um, Russell Domingo, when he was coach, uh, was quite vocal about not selecting players out of the domestic scene. Um, and if you look at sort of how things have gone over the last sort of three or four years, um, there haven't been a lot of players that have jumped straight from domestic cricket into into the Proteus team. So um, I then spoke to my agent at the time and said to him, what about the Colpac route? And he said, well, there's, a lot more chance of you being able to to find a gig as a cold pack versus an overseas pro. So let's see what we can do. Um, there were a couple of counties uh, that were keen, but um, Essex was was the one that seemed um, the most keen, if I could put it that way. Um, they were in the running to win Division Two, and if they won Division Two, they were then going to look to sign um, a spinner. For their season, first season in, in Division One, so that was sort of the the beginning of of the talks. Um, Essex went on to to win Division Two, and sort of the rest is history. Ended up um, signing with them, Crystal Wood, the coach at the time, and Ronnie Irani, um, the chairman of the cricket committee. There were sort of the two instrumental people in in bringing me to Essex. What is it like, personally, from being in the Proteus squad to suddenly be on the outside looking in? I mean, it, it surely must must hurt to some extent. Yeah, I think um, as a as a professional sportsman, you want to be competing at the top level. Um, so, as a cricketer, you want to be playing international cricket. Um, 
it's where you sort of get the most recognition as a cricketer um, and where you sort of um, exceed and, and develop the most, uh, if I can put it that way. Um, and so as a stepping stone getting in, if you look at the amount of players that have got into T20 leagues from playing international T20 cricket, um, so there's there's a lot more benefit from playing international cricket, um, both as a professional and on a personal level. Um, so yeah, there is, I mean, there's no prouder moment than when you get a phone call from the convener of selectors to say that you are in the squad, you've been selected, whatever the case may be. Um, and there probably isn't a lower moment than than telling your, your friends and family once you've been dropped that, that you're no longer in the squad. So there's definitely um, uh, yeah, a sense of, of outsiderness um, when you're not in the squad. Um, but yeah, I think if, if things were, if the playing field were um, a bit more level um, and it was just down to to performances and, and putting in a good season, it would be a lot simpler. But unfortunately, um, it doesn't always work like that. And um, hence, a lot of players exploring uh, other routes and other options. I posted on social media a few days ago about the fact that I commiserated with a, a player not too long ago when he had missed out on earning his first ever test cap. And he was obviously disappointed. And, and, and a lot of the disappointment stemmed from the fact that he now wouldn't be able to qualify as a Colpac player. And it wasn't that he wasn't patriotic. I mean, of course, he wanted to represent South Africa, but I think it's, it's having that plan B in place, being able to still fall back on the Colpac route should things not go his way uh, in the near future or, or the long-term future. And I, I didn't name the player for obvious reasons, and uh, a couple of people responded on Twitter, and one of them said, oh, was it Simon Harmer, which firstly isn't the case because you played five tests for SA. And, and secondly, I mean, full disclosure, you and I go back many, many years and uh, I was in contact with you nonstop um, ahead of your first test and we're wondering, were you going to get it, were you not, were you going to... And I'll never forget the photo you sent me the morning of... Uh, the morning before, if I'm not mistaken, of the test and you sent me the picture of yourself in the Proteus kit so, I mean, you are a diehard South African. As, as I spoke about earlier, you still live here, you still play a lot of cricket here, but uh, circumstances has meant that you, you earn a, a bit of a living overseas as well. Yeah. Um, as I alluded to earlier, you want to be playing international cricket, and there isn't a prouder moment in your cricket career um, than being selected to play your first Test match for your country. Um, and Test match cricket, with all its traditions, um, with the way that it is received worldwide, is the ultimate test. I mean, it's where you want to be. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's not a, it's not a route that you want to look at going the Colpac route. You do qualify once you've played one test match, but I think you also need to be aware that not everybody is going to get the ten-year international career. Um, I mean, guys like Ab de Villiers, Quinton de Kock. Kisa uh, Rabada, those guys are sort of once in a generation cricketers, and and they are the type of people that will play for ten to twelve years. The type of people, Hashim Amla, that are gonna, they are gonna dictate when they retire. Um, so for the rest of us mere mortals, um, we need to make sure that when the end of the road does come, that you know we open to the idea that. 
there is the possibility of going and playing county cricket in, in, in England. Um, and when I first signed my first, everybody speaks about the pound and how much money you're earning. When I first signed for Essex, I signed on a six-month deal, and I can guarantee you that it was not close to what I was earning in South Africa. And as South African domestic cricketers, you don't earn, if you look around the world, you don't earn as much um, as some of the other countries. So in terms of my initial call pack, it wasn't about the money. It was about the opportunity. It was about a shop window. And it was trying to extend my career for as long as possible because as a spinner for me, if I go over and play and do well in England, I could play until 38, maybe 40. I mean, look at Marcus Trescott. He's 42 and he's still playing. So in terms of longevity, in terms of... Um, sort of making the most of your career and extending your career for as long as possible. Um, the Colpac route is probably the best. International cricket, you're not going to last as long as that. The fast bowler in South Africa, I mean, if you get to 30, 32, chances are like your days are numbered. Whereas in England, look at some of the guys that did really well last year, Ricky Clark playing for Surrey. Um, I mean, the guys are, are a lot of them, over 35 so it's just about the longevity of your career and wanting to play for as long as you can and you speak about mere mortals and I mean you went over there to Essex and I mean would you have ever envisaged have having had the season two seasons uh, the career so far at Essex that, that you've had I mean that first season winning the championship uh, second season again amongst the wickets, going on to Josie Stars for uh, the MSL, and then also breaking a, a South African record along the way. No, I think is the short answer. I don't think. Um, I remember sitting in uh, my parents' living room having a coffee with them, and sort of, you know, I gone. I was leaving South Africa on the back of the Warriors not offering me a contract here. I was going to England on a six-month contract, and it was make or break. If I didn't cut it in England, I was possibly coming back to South Africa unemployed. Um, so there was a lot of of pressure on the six months in England. I needed to perform in order to sort of guarantee my career. Um, the way that things worked out, I did get another contract at the Warriors eventually, um, as reluctant as that might have been. Um, and then, yeah, I, I mean, the four-day season that I had over there, I went over to England. Um, I walked into a team that was scoring a lot of runs. They had just come off the back of winning Division Two uh, the season before, so they were a very confident team. Um, and scoring 400 wasn't an issue. And as a spinner, there's nothing better than bowling when there's runs on the board. Um, and I think that helped me a lot. Um, and yeah, I think the stars aligned, um, the way that the card fell for me, um, the universe was very kind to me and, and, you know, I grabbed the opportunity and it was, it was just a nice playing all three formats, um, in South Africa, I generally play one format and then maybe catch a few 50 other games. So to go over there, to feel valued, to play all three formats, um, it really made me fall in love with cricket again and. Um, slowly but surely in South Africa, I was falling out of love with cricket because of everything that goes on behind the scenes. Um, going, it's, it became a job. It became 
sort of going to work every day and finding a way to get through the day. Whereas I went over to England and it's it's all about cricket and it's about enjoying yourself. It's about enjoying your cricket again. And I think that was the biggest thing for me is that I really started to love playing cricket again. And, and perhaps that what also contributed towards my success is that I was enjoying what I was doing. Um, but I think it's, it's important. It doesn't matter what field of work you're in. Um, that you enjoy what you do. And, and I really felt that the, the county circuit brought that back uh, to my game. There's no question that uh, T20 has changed the cricketing landscape uh, for forever, um, especially over the last five to ten years. And as you said, you haven't played much T20 cricket, especially when you're back in South Africa. That, that's changed now since having gone overseas. But um, the MSL, uh, I mean, that, that changed South Africa for the better. Um, it came around uh, towards the end of last year. Many predicted it, it would uh, be a roaring failure. That wasn't the case whatsoever. And, I mean, I'd been chatting to you uh, daily prior to the auction, and, and you weren't really confident of getting picked up. And in the end, I think I was the one who told you when, when you had been snapped up, you, you weren't even following the auction. And when you had been, you had then been snapped up by the team that went on to win the tournament and you played an integral role in that, even opening the bowling in the final. Yeah, I think um, after the... I put a lot on the sort of global trying to get picked up there um, and sort of watched every second of the auction and then sort of didn't get end, end up getting picked up and there was a lot of disappointment there, so... When the Mzanzi Super League rolled around, I wasn't going to get my hopes up, so I thought I'd rather um, not follow it. And I was actually in contact the whole time with Andrew Birch, and I said to him, Birchie, all we need is an opportunity. It's going to be a shop window, um, and we can take it from there. But all we need is an in. Um, yeah, and both of us got picked up. And once again, it's just to get the opportunity to play, to be able to showcase my skills, to have the backing from from the coach Enoch um, and sort of everybody in the setup, I think thanks to John O'Leafright, who was our manager, who made sure that the players were as happy as they could be and that everything was organised. I've got to say that I think Josie Stars was by far the best run franchise in the MSL um, in terms of player happiness, in terms of everything. Um, we sort of made a, a thing at the beginning of the tournament that we were going to have a little fines meeting after every game, uh, whether we won or lost. Um, just have a bit of a laugh, dish out a bit of abuse, leave whatever happened at the ground, at the ground and go from there. And sort of as things worked, we lost the first couple of games, but then when we started winning, it just snowballed. And, and there was an incredible culture in the team and, um, we were playing some really good cricket and the Proteus coming back into our side helped us a hell of a lot. Um, Reza Hendricks has really come into his own in the last 18 months and, and he added a lot of value. And when it got to the sort of business end of the tournament, KG really, Robata really put up his hand and um, sort of outright sealed games for us. So I think we had a great balance. Um, I was lucky enough to be sort of the spinner that was picked and, and yeah, just try to keep things simple. Um, and, yeah, I didn't foresee opening uh, in the final, but 
yeah, we ended up, the final was a bit of an anticlimax. I was waiting for something to happen in that final because I was like, this isn't how finals are. There's normally something that goes wrong or it doesn't go according to plan like it has today. And yeah, so it was nice to win the inaugural Mzanzi Super League. And yeah, um, I think we had a really, really good team. Uh, just regarding the tournament, I know you and I chatted a bit about it. Uh, was it strange because it's the first of its kind that we've had in South Africa where we've had suddenly a franchise system within a franchise system and players that usually represent one team representing another team and your old franchise not picking you initially. Was it strange not being picked up by your original franchise, in this case the Warriors, and then later playing against the PE-based team? during the tournament? Yeah, I think there was, I think there were a few players that um, felt, I don't know if betrayed is the right word, but felt that they would get picked up um, for the local franchise because the people involved are the people that are involved with the Warriors. And so there was, you know, that sort of in for the players. Um, So, but then, Eric Simons was the coach. He obviously has his own brand and the own way that he does these things and wanted certain players. So you couldn't really look too much into that. Um, but it was a bit strange coming back to play uh, in PE, being based in Joburg, playing against um, the Giants. And, you know, like um, Ravash Gobind is there. Um, all the sort of backroom staff are there. Um, so it was a bit strange, but... Um, I think the tournament was a, a great success, um, and I think going forward it'll it'll grow from strength to strength. There's little uh, nitty gritty stuff that needs to be ironed out, but I think as a whole um, it was a resounding success. Finally, uh, what does uh, the next year or so hold for for Simon Harmer? I know that uh, I'm currently chatting to you at Jim uh, about <laughs> to get a session going, but uh, yeah, and, and also nursing a, a recent surgery, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I leave um, next week for the UK. Um, I had a plate put into uh, the middle finger on my left hand um, after a four-day game in Cape Town, trying to take a court and bowl chance. Um, got a fracture in the joint, so it's been four weeks. I've probably got another three to four weeks to go before I can really start getting into things. So it's cutting things fine before um, the English season. Um, but I should be good to go um, yeah, for the county season. That's the plan. Um, so, yeah, it's just been, I can't do a lot of, sort of grip strength um, work. So it's been a lot of cardio, just trying to keep fit. Because um, an injury can do two things. You can either sit around and do nothing for eight weeks or you can use it to sort of rebuild and, and work on stuff that I haven't had the opportunity to do the last two and a half years it's the first real big break um and, and time off that i've had in two and a half years so i think there's a lot of work uh, ahead of me we go on a pre-season tour to to upper derby um i'm joining up with my sort of mentor um who i've worked with a lot over the years umesh patwal so he'll be coming out uh to upper derby i'll work with him for a week um so yeah i think the focus is on trying to build from um, my sort of Mzanzi Super League. Um, quite happy with where my four-day stuff is at. So to try and work on T20 stuff and, 
and I finished the English county season off well with the bat. So to try and go from strength to strength with that and, and really um, work hard on my batting. But yeah, the the year ahead is um, going to be a challenging one. I think there's a lot of goals and, and objectives that I'd like to reach. Um, so I've got my work cut out for me. And just finally, regarding those goals, have you completely ruled out a return to the Proteus setup, or, or do you still harbour aspirations to play in the green and gold one day? Um, well, there's been sort of no correspondence from from um, Cricket South Africa's side, and I know that um, Cricket South Africa is actively seeking to get rid of Colpax in franchise cricket. Um, so, yeah, I've still got another three years with Essex. So I don't foresee um, another stint uh, with the Proteas. Um, maybe there will be some some international cricket along the line somewhere. Um, you never know how things go. Um, but yeah, I'll hopefully. Um, I've always said that 38 was the number that I'd, I'd want to play until. So if I can still be playing at 38, then who knows? There, there might still be a, a few years of international cricket left in me. Simon, enjoy Jim. We'll chat soon. Thanks so much, Derek. Thanks for your time and thanks for having me. Now to another man from the Eastern Cape, and he's a warrior too, Colin Ingram. Colin never played a test for South Africa, but he has played 31 ODIs and 90 20s. He famously scored a century on his debut in an ODI in 2010. That was against Zimbabwe. Now, being from the same town as him, I'll never forget Colin being selected as captain of the SA school side when he was still at Woodridge College. Uh, The very next day after his selection, he was adorned across the front page of the Herald. And obviously, big things were expected from him. And and many would say he'd be a massive asset in the Proteus World Cup squad in England. But he has forged a very good career as an almost T20 specialist. I last caught up with him in Abu Dhabi at the end of last year where he was playing for the Boost Defenders. This is what he had to say about Dwan's move. Yeah, obviously from uh, Cricket South Africa's side, I'm sure it's uh, massively disappointing. Um, you know, uh, they're always trying to uh, build a good team culture and, and uh, you know, keep things going. And, you know, with another player leaving, uh, it can't be easy. So, um, you know, I think from players' point of view, we're always um, really grateful growing up in South Africa and the opportunities that you you are given. And you know, it's obviously always a difficult decision when guys choose to to go and play elsewhere. So, um, like I've said before, uh, you know, I find it really strange that in a lot of other sports you can go play, you know, club sport in other countries, um, and and still come back and play for your national team. You know, the rugby players do it, the soccer players do it. So, you know, I certainly don't think it's uh, to be frowned upon and. You know, each player, and, and I'm sure Duan's, you know, has his reasons and, you know, he said in the press, you know, his long-term future and, and looking after his family and, and those things are really important. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's just one of those things. And Colin, speaking from a personal point of view, are you happy with uh, having made the callback switch? Yeah, like, um, I think everyone has different reasons for, uh, you know, moving and signing callback deals and that type of thing. Um you know, for me, uh, a good couple of years ago, I, just, I was just looking for more cricket and to grow my game. I felt, um, you know, I, I was starting to be limited. And, you know, Glamorgan have provided me with an uh, unbelievable platform to um, sort of launch myself into into the international arena again in terms of the T20 leagues. And, you know, I'm really grateful to them. And, um, you know, I spent a lot, of, a lot more time with my family. And, um, you know, I've loved the new challenges um, that have come. And 
Um, I suppose life's pretty good at the moment. Um, and, uh, you know, every every team I go to, you know, you got to reprove yourself. And I've enjoyed those challenges and, and my game's grown a lot uh, while out there. So, um, you know, I'm really grateful to Glamorgan and, and I'll definitely be going back uh, to them for years to come. Thanks very much, Colin Ingram. He's currently playing in the PSL for the Karachi Kings. Finally, let's head down to the mother city. On the line now, chatting to the head of SACA, the South African Cricketers Association, Tony Irish. Tony, great to have you on the line. Firstly, before we get into the nitty-gritty, just, just tell us a bit more about SACA, if you don't mind. Yeah, SACA, the, the, the Players Association, it's uh, effectively the Players Union. Um, we represent the collective interests of South Africa's professional cricketers, and that's, uh, that's the Proteus uh, players, both men and women. Um, all the franchise players and all the provincial players. So we have uh, 320-odd uh, professional cricketers um, in South Africa, all of whom are members of SACA. Tony, now there's a gentleman who in 2003 coined the term a Kolpak player, Kolpak status, uh, Maros Kolpak, a, a Slovakian handball player. Uh, I don't think he'd ever envisaged that he'd have this big an impact on the sporting landscape especially in South Africa, as he had. What is Colpac? What, what, is, what does it mean having Colpac status? Yeah, so it does go back to Maris um, Colpac. Um, and effectively, Derek, means that because of the European Union and the various trade agreements that exist um, within the European Union and between the European Union and, and other countries, so in this case, in our case, between certain um, African and Caribbean states, um, that uh, there is a freedom of movement of labour um, in the sense that a South African, uh, for example, can work in the European Union, which includes in the UK, um, on an unrestricted basis. Um, it's important to note that that's not to be confused with work visa. You need a work visa to work um, in European Union territories, including the UK. But if you qualify for a work visa, you get a work visa, then there cannot be internal restrictions in your occupation which then prevent you from, from getting a job. And from a South African perspective, in order to qualify for Colpac, what do they need to be able to do? Well, as long as you've got the right to work in the UK, in other words, if you've got a, a work visa, um, so, so if you've got dual nationality and you've got the right to work there, um, or if you qualify for a work visa by virtue of the amount of international cricket that you've played, um, then so to play for a county, you would um, you require to play a certain amount of international cricket to qualify for a work visa. Uh, then you can't be restricted by the English Cricket Board's regulation that uh, a county can only only employ one overseas player. Um, effectively, that means that a South African player becomes a local player uh, and is not uh, restricted by that regulation. So you can have as many South African players, Colpac players, um, as you want in your team. Um, and that's, that's really the effect of it from a South African point of view. And you say international cricket, they've had to have played a certain amount of games. Do you know those numbers? 
uh, I think it's one test match and and uh, ten ODIs or something like that. Um, but that that is a work visa um, uh, requirement. Not, it's not the whole pack issue, and the two often get confused. Um, uh, that's in order to get the work visa. Okay. There, there is an additional. The, the problem for us as, as South Africa is that in order to to um, register as a player in the UK as a Colpac player, you have to give up. You have to sign an affidavit, um, which which gives up your right to play for your country. Um, and that's the problem: is that um, in order to gain, gain registration there as a local player, as as a Colpac player, you have to sign a this affidavit which says, look, I'm, I'm no longer playing for my country and I and I no longer intend to play for my country. I mean, that is an issue for us. Um, in order to, you know, uh, in order to get that status, that's to find that affidavit. And, uh, you know, one probably needs to look a little bit more uh, closely into that. Um, but that's really the issue. So any player that goes over there seeks to play as a callback player um, would have to find that affidavit, which means they're unavailable to play in the country. There, there are many South African players who go over there who play as overseas players, not as Colpac players. You know, as the one overseas player. Um, you know, they will often some of our players will go over and do a short stint for a county, but qualify as their overseas player. Yeah, and that is a different different status altogether. Hundred percent. And then, of course, the overseas lo- uh, all the, the county clubs love having a callback player on their books because it then allows them to sign that internet that overseas player and have as many callback players as they want. Correct. That's 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 the difference. Look there is a effectively what what uh, the ECB do um, is they incentivize um, the county to produce England qualified players. Um, there's certain incentives that apply there. So that of course is a does act as a um, you know a barrier well, not a barrier, but a, a disincentive to, to contract callback players. But when you're a good player um, and you can play as a local player over there, um, you know, then there's obviously a, some kind of incentive to, to uh, engage callback players. Of course, various sporting bodies can handle the restrictions or the legalities of their different sports however they wish. It's, it's amazing how when it comes to cricket, I mean, I've been chatting to a lot of cricketers around, and they said, why is it in a case where football, where the guys can go wherever they please, there's no certain restrictions, they'll, they'll show up for the national side and that be it, and then they'll, they'll go away again. I mean, some, some rarely ever even touch ground with the, the country that they represent. And... I mean, you've got to look. Is it an unfair uh, restriction on cricketers, especially in South Africa, with that Avi David? You say that that's a major issue that you're trying to get around. I mean, surely South Africans as cricketers should be allowed to go and play their careers wherever they want to and still be able to represent their country. Yeah, that, that should be the case, we, we feel. Um, remember that the difference in football is that Football is essentially a club-based game. Um, you know, every league in um, around the world has, it, has, you know, every country has its league, and the clubs play in the leagues, and it's effectively club-based. And then you get released by the club to go and play for your country. Cricket is a top-down sport. The, effectively, the, the the top league in cricket is an international league. So it's countries 
you know, competing against each other. And that's changing slowly with the advent of the uh, T20 League. Um, but still, the, you know, the international cricket is, is, um, is, is effectively the, the, you know, the league around the world. Um, so, yes, from, a, from, a, from a, an employment point of view, players should be able to play um, everywhere or wherever they, they choose. But we still want to make sure that international cricket is strong. And so you still want to have some kind of balance where players do uh, are incentivized to play in the international channel and play for their country. And it's, you know, this is all about getting balance, um, Derek. And, it, and this is very similar to the free agency issue. Um, the Colpac issue and the free agency issue are very similar issues. Um, you know, when I talk about the free agency issue, it's, you know, we have over the last eight, seven, eight, nine years seen the growth of T20 leagues around the world, you know, including, you know, the big leagues like the, the IPL, the Big Dash, the Caribbean Premier League, the Pakistan League, you know, now we've got the Indian League in, in South Africa. But the, a lot of these leagues rely on overseas players playing in those leagues. Um, and the question is, um, you know, to what degree do you should they be should players be allowed to do this even when it clashes with international cricket? And the point is that the whole system is set up to allow players to make choices about where to play. You know, these leagues are owned by um, most of the board and most most of the time, um, and so they are opportunities for players to move around the world playing cricket. Yet, you know, a lot of the boards expect the players to stay in the international line and play international cricket and prioritise international cricket when a lot of these leagues pay, pay more money to players to play in the league. So the system, the whole system and the way cricket has evolved is promoting player choice um, and allowing player movement, um, which is a good thing from the growth of the game point of view. But there are challenges to that in international cricket in retaining players to play international cricket. Depending on who you ask, the man in the street and you ask them their opinion on any player going the coal pack route, uh, you, you certainly get differing answers. Uh, and many will say, no, but he should be able to earn a living, and the money over there is so much better than down here. Others say that uh, his career was invested in so heavily um, down by the boards here in South Africa. Why would they suddenly opt out to, to go overseas after all that investment? I mean, it, it isn't a controversial issue. And, I mean, should the players be blamed for it? Um, you know, no, they shouldn't be blamed. That's the first thing. Um, but because the system is set up for that choice. You, you know, that, that is, is a system that's been created around the world, which includes the callback arrangements, includes the, you know, the T20 leagues, etc. Um, because, and I, I may keep mentioning these T20 leagues, Derek, because the T20 league issue will become a bigger issue than the callback issue for us. You know, the callback issue may well be, uh, you know, depending on what happens on the at the end of March in in, in the UK, um, you know, that that the whole opportunity may be shut down by by Brexit. We, we don't know. Yeah, um, I was, was going to ask about the Brexit it, issue as well. Yeah, it, it may become a non-issue, um, and we can talk a little bit about that shortly. But um, we predict, and we have been predicting in the players' uh, associations for a long time, that the free agency issue 
will become a bigger issue. Um, and that's a global issue. It's not just, it's not, it's applicable to many, many countries. If you look at the West Indies, for example, they've been right at the forefront of this issue where they've lost a lot of players to you know, free agency, to players who just play around the world in these leagues and don't even play for the West Indies, aren't even contracted in the West Indies to play. Um, and that, you know, we have the same, those same issues to deal with in, in South Africa. And the point is that the game sets it up itself up like this to promote and allow players' choice and player movement. Um, and yet, then players get blamed for, um, for deciding, you know, which way to go. Um, and, you know, I think the point is that this, I think, requires bigger change in the game. It requires structural change in the game. It requires you know, a review of the game economics um, because cricket is very, very um, uh, set up for the big nations. Uh, you know, there's a, a, a huge inequality between um, what nations, um, you know, earn from international cricket and what they're able to pay their players. Um, yet the, the alternative market, the free agency market, uh, players compete on the, on the same stage. When you're playing for your country, you know, South Africa or maybe the West Indies don't have the same ability to pay their players the same as they play England or Australia. Um, but in the T20 leagues, that's different. Everyone competes on an equal basis. So structural change is really necessary if you want to get to the bottom of, of uh, if you really want to get to the solution. Um, it's very one-dimensional to just say, oh, players shouldn't be allowed to do this or there should be a restriction or whatever it is. Uh, actually, the game economics should be changed and the structure of the game needs to be changed if you really want to deal with this issue properly for the future. You said Brexit uh, coming in a, a month or two's time. I mean, if things go a certain way, as you mentioned, it, it could put an end to everything and, and the discussion would be superfluous in, in a couple of months. Yeah, possibly. Um, and then the question would be, look, do those, do those uh, cricketers who, who, have, who are playing under Colfax status and have two, three-year contracts over there, are they allowed to see their contracts out? That probably will be what will happen. But maybe the route to Brexit, or sorry, the route to uh, playing over there as a Colfax player may, may well be shut down. You know, it's... Uh, it's probably a fair as much um, right at the moment as to which way that's going to go on, on the Brexit. Uh, you know, if you're following that that issue, uh, you know, there's a big call for a, 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 another referendum on it. Um, President, uh, you know, Prime Minister is determined to carry on with it. Uh, there could be an extension of the, of, uh, you know, the, the period within which to deal with it. We don't really know. Um, but, yes, ultimately, that route may be, may be shut down. So we've got a cold pack, which is a major issue for Cricket SA. Then, as you said, you, you've got the T20s popping up all in sundry. I actually remember speaking to a player in Abu Dhabi a couple of months ago. I was over there for, for one of the T20 tournaments. And uh, midway through the tournament, I bumped into him in the hotel and he was packing his bags. And I said, where are you off to? He said, no, he's, he's off to Dubai to go play in a, a different tournament. And I asked who he was going to be representing, and he actually had no idea. And and as you mentioned, I I think it is clear that the more tournaments that are coming up, the more guns for hire there are going to be. And and rightly so, we completely understand that they have to make a living, and they've only got a short time span in which to do it. But 
what can cricketers say do to counter the likes of Coldpack, T20s, etc.? Yeah, so, you know, the, the, the answer, the real answer to that, Derek, um, you know, in dealing both with the callback situation and in dealing with um, the free agency challenge is proper structural change to the game, a proper overhaul of the game economics, the global game economics, and then good regulation, a fit-for-purpose regulation that supports um, those changes. That, that's the... That's the real answer, the long-term answer. In the short term, um, you, the answer is for Cricket South Africa and, and yeah, all of us here in South Africa, is we have to have some kind of um, strategy to retain our players as best we can in the circumstances. Um, and to be fair to Cricket South Africa, uh, we, we, we've been working on that with them for a while and, and, and aspects of that uh, strategy are being implemented and have been implemented over over a period, um, and the, you know there are there are various uh, legs to that. The one is, uh, you know, players need to earn fair amounts, um, which you know as the optimal amount that they can earn in in the South African context. Um, because sometimes this is financial, not always financial for a player, but a, a chunk of it normally is financial. Um, so, an optimal optimal earnings, which is what we do when you know when we address our MOU, um, and we try and ensure that players uh, the amount of money available for player contracts through the system is a fair amount um, uh, for this. Secondly, it's about you know the, the, the stuff I've talked about the you know changing competition structures uh, to make international cricket as attractive as possible. Uh, that's important. Thirdly, the, the environment in the, in the protest team um, is very important. If there's a really a good culture, if, uh, you know, it's, it's, non, it's non-political, it's, uh, you know, there, there's consistency, um, there's, a, there's, there's a lot of trust around the system, that's vital because that makes it a very good and comfortable home for, for players. And that, that applies um, all over the world. You know, you, you find that where there is a poor culture in the team and it's not a great place to be, um, whether it's an international team or a domestic team, then players will gravitate away from it. Um, so that's, that's important. Um, and then, you know, just generally the, the, the health of, of the game in South Africa, just generally the ongoing health of the game is important in order to support all of that. So these are... And sorry, I forgot to mention one other thing, which has recently um, applied. Um, and and Trigger South Africa have to be, you know, have, have been attempting to do this as best they can. And that is that there needs to be an individual um, plan for each player. You know, um, so you know, a plan, a player, each player needs to understand. You know, this is the length of my contract. Um, if I'm offered one, this is what my contract involves because. You know, there, there are different formats. Are you are you an all-format player? Are you going to just specialise in, in, in red ball cricket or white ball cricket? Um, what does that mean? Does, does that mean I'll be given a degree of freedom to play in some of these other leagues, but I can still play for, for South Africa? You need to plan all of that very carefully with each player. So the, the player knows, okay, this is, this is exactly what the plan is for me. Um, and so I can make 
an informed decision as to you know whether I accept the contract under that plan or or not. And and Cricket South Africa have done that, and they and and uh, we've been we've been lobbying for that, advocating for that for a number of years, and the last year or so, Cricket South Africa has implemented that. So, um, you know, yeah, but even with the best intent in the world, um, Derek, players make decisions based on different things. You know, sometimes they're not even cricket decisions; they are decisions about where they want to live and where they where they, where they want to base their, their families in in future and. So you can do all of these things, and there can still be decisions that you know that you can't control. So um, yeah, that's just it's part of part and parcel of, of the challenges that we have in the game, um, and uh, and we've got to grapple with them continuously. Tony, final question. I've been having this discussion with a, a number of friends of mine over the last uh, couple of months. Uh, it pops up quite regularly, and uh, some are, are, are players, former and current. And you mentioned the changing of the international game and the landscape. Do you foresee in the future uh, a major overall in terms of the formats? Now, you've got T20 is where the money is, and you've got test cricket is where the prestige is. So it almost leaves the middle brother, ODIs, in limbo. And do you think that becoming lesser of a factor in the future, maybe even being done away with altogether in order to accommodate more T20s and being able to let players still play T20s and, and maybe try and play test cricket? Uh, Derek, that's, a, that's an excellent question and an excellent point of debate there. Um, because, uh, you know, the one thing that, that keeps the ODI system going and alive and, and, um, and important is the World Cup. The World Cup is still the probably clinical international event, um, and everyone aspires to win the World Cup, um, and that is a, a big, big event in cricket, and that's a fifty-over uh, event. So, so that keeps that keeps the World Cup that keeps that that format going. Um, but yes, there, there, there's this constant debate about whether there should be, um, you know, three three formats and which format is it, 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 you know is it. There's so much tension and and in the system, um, you know, something's got to give somewhere along the line, and where's that going to be? Um, I think ultimately, um, these things will be determined by the game economics, as things always are. It'll boil down to what's the value of this format. Um, you know, with the broadcasters in particular, um, you know, it is the, are the broadcasters still you know do they see this as a valuable format. Remember that, you know, test cricket is five days. Uh, these days, actually, it's a lot less. <laughs> but it's supposed to be five days. Um, you know, that's, that's a very expensive format to produce. It's a very expensive format to prepare players for. You have to have a, a, a you know, four-day competition, which is expensive, first-class competition. Um, and 50 over cricket is seven, eight hours, and T20 cricket is is three or three and a half hours. Now, which is the most valuable, um, you know, from a broadcast point of view, from a broadcast space point of view? Ultimately, the game economics will, will determine that somewhere down the line. And, you know, we all hope that test cricket survives this uh, because uh, most of us who are, you know, really uh, real old cricket followers and, 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 and this includes the players that put, you, you spot on that the, that the respect amongst players is still greatest at the test level 
Um, and and a lot of us who are working in cricket and have been for years and, and, and love cricket, love that, the, you know, the test format. Um, but ultimately, this will determine, it will be determined by the game economics. Where is the money going to be invested? Um, and, you know, how is it all balanced off? You know, one hopes that test cricket is going to continue in one shape, in some shape or form. Um, but there's absolutely no doubt that if the game doesn't start to address appropriate balance, you know, between the format, between where it's going, um, we can all see where, where the game is going, you know, faster and faster, the short format. And unless we restructure the game, we address the game economics and get ahead of the problem, and we then put in purpose regulation around that, then the game will continue to cannibalize itself. Um, and, you know, you can put in short-term measures, um, incentives, whatever it is, to try and keep play, play, playing in certain, uh, you know, certain places or certain uh, development pathways. Um, but, you, but at the end of the day, the fans and, and the broadcast is probably going to determine where the game is going. Um, so that's a long way of, of answering your question. It's, it's, it's quite uh, complicated. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's where we sit at the moment. And, uh, you know, Derek, I'd also just like to say one other last thing about Colpac. Go for it. You know, everything is set up for choice um, at the moment. And Colpac, there's no doubt that Colpac works South African cricket. Um, you know, and I personally think that for a player who's on his way up in international cricket, um, it's, you know, that's where it really works. Um, and, you know, where that choice is made, the other callback route, I think that's unfortunate. Um, as long as that player, you know, has an, is making an informed decision, um, that, that's where it really bites. You know, callback has been a, I think, a good thing for um, some players on the downside of their uh, international careers when they finish playing international cricket. Legit, really genuinely finish playing international cricket. It's probably a good thing, a positive thing. Um, Lovely. Tony, thanks so much. It's been a, a fascinating discussion. Glad to see you made it safely back to Cape Town and we'll catch up soon. Yeah, thanks, Derek. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Inside the Game, brought to you by Radar Media.